Hello, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel. Uh, if you're interested in listening to this full interview, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to, how to become an associate and get access to all of our uh, job training materials for PhDs. Uh, if you'd like to get these highlights delivered to your email inbox every week, go to cheekyscientist.com and subscribe under where it says start here. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Uh, today, we will be talking to Arundhoy Sir about careers in project management. Arundhoy currently works as a senior analyst um, and project manager at Ovation Diagnostics. Uh, he has been very successful there. He's certified in clinical data, data management, uh, received that certification from the FDA. Uh, he has an advanced certificate in biotechnology and intellectual property and has done all of this while getting a visa to, to work in the U.S. Um, so he's familiar with uh, international challenges as well. Um, and despite that, he's been able to get into these positions and clearly define uh, what it takes to be a successful project manager. And that's what we will be discussing today. So we're going to jump in with Arundoy now. Thanks for being here, Arundoy. Hi, Isaiah. It's great to be here for another webinar. <laughs> Good to have you on. Um, okay, so, you know, every time we have somebody who's made this transition into industry, we always talk, like to just hear about their story. Um, because we have, you know, most people on, as you know, right now, they're listening, you know, they're trying to make this transition. So maybe you can just talk to us briefly, take us to the story of why you decided to transition to, uh, you know, out of academia and into industry and, and how um, you did it. Uh, so as everybody must have heard when, you know, you were reading my background, I always wanted, even before I started my PhD, I knew I'll be in the industry. And that's why in between my master's and PhD, I worked you know, something that's in the industry for Accenture and that was, that involved scientific knowledge, but it was not at all bench work. So I always knew that and that's how I prepared myself. And even, uh, so it was not like a difficult decision, you know, how some people get their PhD, then work a couple mm -hmm. of years uh, in academic postdoc and then they decide to move out. It was different in my case. Uh, I always knew and that's why, even I chose a project that had like translational value. If you look at my LinkedIn profile or my resume, uh, you will see that I always, even when I was a PhD student, like from the very beginning, I tried to like get involved with technology transfer office. I got involved with out licensing of the patent that resulted from our uh, work in the lab. And so all that, like, you know, even though I was, that was not like I was doing extra work, it paid off like that helped me transition mm. so so that's something like i was very like sure about that i'll work in industry and that too like i'll use my scientific knowledge but i won't do r and d bench work and i knew that when i was doing my masters yeah and i, I know that for some people you maybe you've made this decision if those of you listening maybe you made a decision you know fairly late in your academic career maybe you're still kind of not sure you're on the fence um yeah but you know Arundo is one of the examples where he knew that a phd could be a means to getting one of these jobs in industry um so i think it's valuable for a lot of you guys to think that start, you know stop thinking of oh i failed academia i failed with my phd and now i got to go you know i don't even like the term alternative careers right because Industry is the primary career for PhDs by far, you know, when you look at the numbers. And, and so I, I think it's important for, um, 
it's important for Arunda to share his experience and his viewpoint because I really like his perspective. Um, okay, so you, you knew you wanted to get into industry, and, and you know you had your your leanings um, uh, prior to to transitioning. What motivated you once you were in industry to get into project management? What did you like about this area um, in particular? Um, uh, there are two things. First, I wanted to do something where I can use my scientific knowledge, but not like you know, R&D work in the bench. Mm. And so this gives me that opportunity. And also, I think the career you choose should all match a little bit with your personality and what kind of person you are. And I love working in cross-functional teams and collaborative projects. And so this gave me the opportunity. And also, uh, you know, if you're working in translation of R&D or in clinical trials, it gives you the satisfaction of seeing like something coming to fruition. It's towards the end of um, like a innovative drug or a medical device. Hmm. So these are the main reasons why I chose this path. Yeah. And so let, let's break this down a little bit because, I mean, some people listening know and some people don't know. Um, but some of these phrases. For, so for, what do you mean when you say cross-functional teams? Uh, so cross-functional teams, uh, if I tell you, like, you know, basically what I do now, I talk to uh, people who are involved in finance, like maintaining mm -hmm. budget, and I'm involved, I give inputs in that. I uh, give inputs and get involved in um, making timelines for projects. I work uh, with R&D people who are doing our, say, antibody production or generating, like, you know, testing a new immunoassay. So there I'm using, like, I'm looking, basically reading papers and looking at Western blotting data. Then again, I'm doing project management work. So this is, I'm interacting with all these different kind of people and a kind of working with all of them. And so yeah. that is a cross-functional environment. No, I, th I think that's important for you guys to know. And I, just to backtrack a little bit, so, when you're making the decision, like let's, you know, about industry, for most of us, it's just like academia or industry, but you need to open up that black box of industry. And I think the next question to ask is, do I want to stay at the bench, you know, go into R&D um, or away from the bench? You know, if you decide to go into R&D, then, you know, you drill down further and you say, okay, do I want to do something that's more like a research scientist position or more like project management? And uh, there's like, you know, really, there's a lot of differentiators, but two big ones are you're going to be working, you know, it's a much more cross um you're going to be working with much, much more different teams, like Arundo just said. All right, so these cross-functional teams, you're going to be um, rotating, going to a lot of different meetings, and really um, communicating between different departments to get a a project or a product, uh, you know, out the door to market, wherever it might be. That's one big difference. Whereas a research scientist, you know, you're going to be at the bench, and you could work on many different products and many different projects and you know whether it's QC or innovating you know uh, different aspects of, of things you know this it's, it's much more specialized so I think that's an important thing to realize because like Arundo I said you want to match this with your personality if you like being at the bench you like going very very deep right then a research scientist might be a good fit if you like doing a variety of things and you like going uh, not deep, but you like going, you know, I guess broad would be the way. Um, uh, this uh, project management position makes more sense. So I think that's important. And then one other way that we differentiate it, and I've, I've heard Arundo talk about it too, is, you know, with project, like he said, he said translating, you know, into, you know, the information, the knowledge, stuff from the bench, bench into a product. Like as a project manager, you'll, 
oftentimes you'll be with a product or an idea or a project or something that's going to market all the way from conception to market. Research scientists, not so much. Um, so, so we're gonna, okay, this gives us a basic understanding of project management, but maybe you could talk about your particular type of project management, especially with your experience and with clinical trials. What, what is that like and how does that differentiate? How does that differ from, let's say, a project manager that's in biotech where there are no clinical trials involved? Uh, so basically, I'll tell you kind of not just my role, but generally what you'll be expected to do if somebody joins a company as a clinical trials project manager. So is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you will be kind of the main point of contact between the clinical study staff the collaborating vendors, you know, the clinical trials, it involves different sections of people. It will be like medical investigators. It will be, say, the drug company who produced the drug and a CRO. So you will be kind of the interface, you know, like connecting all these people and communicating. And then you'll be responsible for overall implementation and operational and uh, making sure all the logistics of clinical study goes well because it's very different from working in a lab. It's not just your bench work, you know, it's much broader. There can be like uh, various like little regulatory law differences in um, like little things like, you know, suppose you're working for a multinational company's clinical trial over like spread across three countries, they might have different shipping requirements or laws regarding some chemicals or medicine, and you have to keep that in mind and how that will affect your timeline or budget. And so timeline and budget are, again, two most important things. You have to make sure you are on track, and if there is something missing, you spend more or something, you have to uh, make sure that everybody who's in the loop, the administrative people, are made aware of that. And then uh, you have to... Um, one major thing with clinical trials, since it's you have to submit everything to the FDA after everything is done, yeah, documentation and specific documentation, maintaining all the regulatory guidelines, that's another big responsibility of the project manager. Now, mm. uh, you must be thinking this is a lot of work, obviously, and you won't be... I am thinking that. Yeah, you, you won't <sighs> be thinking like, everything by yourself you won't be like giving the drug or you won't be like you know maintaining all the documents case report forms other people will be under you and your job will be to make sure that everything goes smoothly all is coordinated and it matches with the deadlines uh so uh, another thing you know like what your exact duties would be also changes um based on uh and who you are working for. Now, this is something important for people to know. Uh, where, like anybody, and it's not just clinical trials, project manager. If you are involved in clinical trials, you can be involved in, I would say, like two kind of organizations. Two kinds of organization. One will be what is called in clinical trials research field. It's called the sponsor. So the sponsor is the a company that invented or owns the medical device or the drug, say uh, uh, Pfizer or AstraZeneca who developed it. Now they are going to test it. Often they don't need to do like all the work. They'll give the responsibility to a CRO. 
So say like Pfizer or Eli Lilly develops a drug and Quintiles is running the clinical trials. So Pfizer or Eli Lilly is the sponsor and CRO is Quintiles. So mm. you have to, and how your responsibilities will change a little bit based on who you are working from. And also you must be aware of this difference and the terms like sponsor and CRO. It's very important for any clinical trials related job. Does it require a lot of, we'll just go in order here. Does it require a lot of travel, your position, for example, Arunda? It requires, again, it depends on the size of the clinical trial and who you are working for, the sponsor or the CRO. For example, if you are working for a small company that is testing an immunoassay, right? And they are doing, say, clinical trials in three hospitals in three different states. On the other hand, the GSK or Eli Lilly is doing like, you know, across seven countries. So it depends, you know. Yeah. The, so that's the main determining factor about the amount of travel you have to do. But you have to do some amount of travel, but it's less than people who are in sales position. Yeah, so I think that's good. So I think, you'd, I mean, you'd be looking at less than 50% for sure. I mean, I, what I've seen is probably about 20%. So you are traveling, but it does depend on the company. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good, always a good question. Uh, so what we have here, so we have what would be the entry-level position before progression into project manager? So that's a good question. So let's say somebody can't get a project management job. Um, they, they can be competitive. Arundhati, what, what do you see people transitioning into project management from, like, in your current company, for example, have you seen anybody promoted to this position or moving in from another position? Any insights so, there? So generally, um, you'll be, you know, like in any um, say growth ladder or if you cannot get into a specific position, you'll be getting into a position like just under it, basically who will be managing as a clinical project manager, right? So who you'll be managing, you'll be managing clinical research associates and clinical specialists. These are the two positions just below the clinical trials project manager. So if you cannot break through, and I know like clinical trials is breaking in is kind of tricky unless you have previous experience. Mm -hmm. And so generally uh, companies, CROs, they want to hire somebody with an undergrad degree as a CRA, clinical research associate or clinical specialist. But uh, with advanced degree, you might have to join as a CRA, but since you have an advanced degree, you can quickly transition in a shorter time to a clinical trials project manager. What are like the lateral positions, the under positions? Like give us kind of the hierarchy you have, or how they fit together, CRA, project okay. manager, all uh, the different stuff. So, yeah, so, um, so just un under the supervision of the clinical trials project manager, there will be the clinical research associates and clinical specialists. So now, remember I was telling you all this documentation, administration of the drugs and making sure like, you know, documenting adverse events or serious adverse events that might happen because of the drug that is being tested. So clinical specialists and CRAs, they do that. They do that work and project manager supervises that. And just above the project manager, you have the senior project manager and so, uh, clever, clever title makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, so this, I'm also kind of telling you like, you know, what will be your career progression? So mm. if you join, say you cannot join as a clinical 
trials project manager. You join as a CRA, then you become a clinical uh, trials project manager, then you become a senior project manager, and then you become associate director of clinical trials management, and then you become director or of the clinical trials management division of your company. So this is like the general um, yes. growth. So CRA, CTPM, and senior CTPM and so forth. Um, so so the, the CRA is really the, the kind of the entry-level position if you guys are looking to get into that. Now, so Arunda, for clarity, do you have a, a PMP degree or certification? No, I, I don't. I don't. Okay, no, this is good. So you don't need a PMP to get into project management. You don't. You do not need more certifications or schooling. You don't need to, you know, you just, you just don't need to. <laughs> I think it's more – I mean, uh, it depends. I don't know. Like, if you're going to get one now, that's fine. You can leverage it, sure, of course. But I think it's important to note that we're talking to somebody right now who doesn't have this certification. Um, you know – um, Yeah, Ruda, please. That, yeah, regarding that uh, requirement, uh, I hear this a lot, that uh, you will require, like, a PMP. Obviously, like, having something like that helps, but I think um, – I, another question I get along with that is, what what do they how do they need to prepare themselves? You know what a PhD needs yes. to have, and uh, that's something you know. Uh, so, uh, what I need want to say about that is, um, you know, there are certain skills that a science PhD develops while working in the PhD lab, and one of them that is very important and clinical trials project management you know position looks for that is uh, knowledge of a specific therapeutic area so if you had like a phd say say that works with cardiac diseases or uh, eye diseases or cancer then it will be easier for you to find a specific clinical trials for that mm. and you know and uh, even like therapies are becoming more and more complex now like Ten years ago, there was nobody was talking about immuno-oncology or gene therapy or, you know, monoclonal antibodies. They're all very common now. And so in these fields, it's, um, people are more reluctant to hire an undergrad, even though they have a lot of experience. They want a science PhD. So in these complex therapeutic areas, uh, PhDs have an advantage. And uh, so... Besides that, like this is an advantage of having like a science PhD. And then there are a couple of things I would like to say that PhDs need to develop or learn outside their what they can learn in the lab. And two of them are, which is very, very important. Um, you know, if, as you have noticed, like when I was telling you about the responsibilities and all, I used a lot of acronyms. And this is yeah. very, very common and very important for um even in interviews, they won't like, you know, always use the abbreviation. So you have to know those terms. And another thing that you have to develop besides your PhD knowledge and whatever you pick up during your grad school is that, uh, and which are, you know, regulatory laws. And nobody will teach you regulatory laws, even if you are doing a cancer biology PhD. And that's something you'll have to pick up. So, yeah. And, oh, okay. So I, I think let's, 
let me pause right there because we're covering a lot of information here, and I think it's important to – I want to move on to the transferable skills and uh, the technical skills to highlight. But just for clarity, because a, a lot of you are really – and this is a common thing no matter what the position you're in, you're getting hung up on this idea that you need – extra expertise, right? All the job postings say you need previous experience, but remember, they're all templates. They're always going to say you need previous experience. It's all going to say something, you know, like Merv said here, they're all going to say you require, uh, you know, coordinator assistant work, or you have to have special um, knowledge of that field. The best, I mean, the best thing you can do, Arundo has already said, you know, look, start looking for CRA positions, right? For the, that, that associate position. Um, you can, with a PhD, get into these roles. Um, you, uh, we've seen PhDs get directly into project management roles without PMP degrees, right? So don't use it as a crutch or an excuse for yourself. The key comes down to, you know, and this is something Arundo has always done very well, is using what you did in your dissertation or your research, right? Looking for the translational aspect of that and leveraging it to get positions um, you know, that require that, right? Because um, remember, with your resumes and when you're networking and stuff, you you, you want to leverage that. You want to persuade people that you can do this because you have a background in this, even if it's a loose background. Um, so I just want to say that first before we start, you know, diving headfirst into these transferable or technical skills. So once you know that, then the question becomes, okay, what technical skills, transferable skills can I highlight? And that's where we are now. Okay, so, so, so if you could just continue on with, you know, what, Additional skills could associates, people listening, whether yeah, it's transferable so, or technical, what could they leverage? How could they develop them? How could they communicate them on a, a resume or during networking interviews, so forth? And uh, so, you know, like whenever I look at any kind of job opportunity or I, you know, anybody asks for advice, I tell them, like, uh, basically divide all the requirements into two, two things. One is what you already have, and second is what you can develop. So what um, PhDs already have is obviously, you know, like uh, presentation skills. Uh, they already have that. They have like good writing skills and communication is very important for this kind of role. And another one which I already mentioned earlier is a deep knowledge of a specific therapeutic area. You should always try to leverage that. And the third quality, you know, that PhDs already have is, main, is like running a complex project. Like all of them have that in order to like, you know, complete their own dissertation or project and everything. And then comes the three or four uh, like qualities that are required for clinical trials project manager, but I don't think all PhDs have it and they should work on developing it. Uh, first is uh, regulatory laws, like whichever region you are in. If you are in the U.S., it will be FDA. And so know the laws. And there are lots of like online um resources where you can read up laws, you know, regulatory laws, and you can even go to clinicaltrials.gov and familiarize yourself with how clinical trials are organized and learn about the terms and learn about like the rules. And another quality I feel like some PhDs are not saying all, but some lack, and that is uh, ability to work with a diverse group of people. So, it, all of you who most you interact with, you know, during your PhD or postdoc are also PhDs and postdocs. But when you're working in an uh, environment which is like more cross-functional and large group of people, there will be others who will be not that technical or they'll have like other expertise. You will need to like collaborate and communicate with them. So these are the three things I feel like, you know, PhDs need to develop. 
No, this is good. So, okay, so where can these resources be found? You know, outside of going to some course, right? Uh, yeah, obviously, Shilpi, this is why we there are not getting... I cannot, um, I mean, I cannot uh, recall right now, but there are, if you just, like, go and search for clinical trials terms, or say glossary of clinical trials terms, you will find, like, there are lots of uh, resources. And some, uh, you know, uh, there I know... Uh, PhDs who work in a drug or something that will go into clinical trial, but they don't know this phases. What happens in phase one? What happens in phase two? What size of uh, subjects you need? Some sub subject population you need in phase three? And these are like very easy. You can find it. And also another good resource I'll suggest is clinicaltrials.gov. You just go there and you, you know, just in your free time, just do it like, you know, uh, just out of curiosity, suppose you are looking at uh, what's going on in um, immuno-oncology. So you just, you can search like, okay, Germany or USA, how many immuno-oncology trials are going on? Uh, you can uh, do that. And so use all these resources and I think you'll get like a fair amount of, you know, knowledge through these. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's, um, Great advice. I don't. I honestly don't think you guys. I mean, I know it's a, we're like PhDs, so we think, oh, well, the, the answer is more certifications or more courses. Um, you know, if the course is right, you can definitely do that. But I, I would first, like Arundo said, dig in um, to uh, the the free resources first and get a strong understanding, and then then go from there. Right. We've had all these are like free. You know, like clinicaltrials.gov will also help you in your own work. Suppose you mm. don't want to go into clinical trials but you go into something that is translational. Suppose you are working in, say, eye diseases, like I was doing with age-related macular degeneration. So um, just getting familiarized, what's the current thing that's going on? And uh, so, and what, uh, you know, going on in clinical trials, what drugs are about to come out in the market, it will be a great way of familiarizing yourself with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so we talked about the skills, the transferable skills. Let, let's talk about your path getting into this position more specifically, Arundo. So, and I mean this on a practical level in terms of what is the interview process for these types of roles? Like what are some typical interview questions that are common? I mean, uh, you know, if you've sat in on interviews on the other side of the table, what are some of the things you've asked and so forth? Uh, in interviews, again, uh, they'll try to um, judge three or four things. First will be uh, knowledge of therapeutic area. And uh, this will depend on what that company focuses on. It, uh, if, like, if it's a really large company, they might select you. You know, suppose your PhD is in cardiac disease, they'll be like, okay, we, we'll put you only in cardiac disease division. If it's a smaller company doing two, three different things, you might be asked, you know, about your knowledge in two, three different therapeutic area. And I think this is this will be a strong point for science PhDs. And second thing they'll uh, try to understand is, uh, as I mentioned, you know, your knowledge of the clinical trials pathway or the process. In one of my interviews, they asked me, to, uh, like, after the first round, they sent me um, a f like just an outline of a clinical trial, like a fake like drug, and they said, "Oh, when you come for the next round of interviews, uh, do a presentation. Just five, six slides. 
what will happen in phase one, phase two, phase three, and like do a flow chart. And they categorically told, use as little wording as possible, do flow chart and, you know, diagrams. And so that's something you have to know, like the pathway, what happens in phase one, what happens in phase two, what happens in phase three. And the third thing you will be uh, tested on will be basic knowledge of regulatory rules, FDA regulatory rules, and um, and also terms. Like there are some very commonly used terms, say CRF or case report forms, SAE will be serious adverse event. So that you will be tested on that. And also they'll try to judge your ability to collaborate and how you uh, if you have a if you are good with communication and if you're good at collaborating with different kinds of people thank you for joining us for another industry careers for phds podcast if you're interested in attending one of these interviews live or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview including all of the background materials and show notes go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Uh, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast, uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.